Hey guys, I'm Jasmine Lee from People's Party with Talib Kweli, and you're listening to Fly Fidelity. First I say, what we're we gonna do? Then you say, I don't know, what do you wanna do? What we're gonna do, what you wanna do? You're gonna dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You wanna get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. What's going on and welcome to another episode of Fly Fidelity with your host yours truly. On this episode we speak with Jasmine Lee, actress, comedian and co-host of People's Party Podcast with Talib Kweli. Enjoy the conversation. I was wondering if you could walk me through your introduction in experiencing media for the first time. What inspires you to pursue Elaine as a comedian, actress, and a co-host? So I actually moved to, well, let's start from the beginning. I have had my own pretend talk show since I was a child. I used to have my Home Alone Walkman and walk around and uh, interview my friends and family. And then even when I got to high school in band room, I used to pretend to interview people on Jazzy Jazz Says. And I've always wanted to be an actress. My mom started paying me to die for her friends at age of two. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know. I just kind of feel like it's just always been in me. It was just a part. It was just about actively focusing on that. And what, what, what motivated me is I was supposed to do Hell's Kitchen And so I came out to L.A. for Hell's Kitchen and I just got a taste of the L.A. bug. And I decided if I made the show that I was just going to move out there. And um, I remember I didn't make the show and I was really sad. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to move anyway. And so I did. And I came out here and started out doing background acting and then needed a job to make ends meet. So I started working at Comedy Union, a comedy club in LA, which is what motivated me to do comedy. And me doing comedy is how I met Jeff, which is how I met Talib. So that's the line. So your career as a comedian, it begins with open mic, doesn't it? Can you share any recollections of coming up in the beginning and defining your style as a comedian? Um, so funny thing is I never watched comedy, like stand-up comedy. I think I probably saw a couple of Kevin Hart specials because my friend, um, Nicole was obsessed, but I never actively watched stand-up. So I didn't really see any stand-up until I saw it live at the Comedy Union. And, um, I remember telling one of the comedians there, London Brown, I wanted to do comedy. He took me to an improv class. And then from there is where I went to my first open mic, which I mean, my first open mic was literally me just giving a monologue. I don't know if there were any real jokes in there. I really would love to see what I wrote down for that first set because I had a droid and I don't have those anymore. So I don't have the recording. <laughs> what year is this? This was year, This was December 2014, the first time I, I got on stage. 
Okay. Yep. And then my first actual show was January 26th at the comedy store. It was a bringer show. And in my mind, I killed, but again, I'm sure I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so who would have been some of your touchstone influences that inspired you to want to pursue a lane in comedy? Did you have any friends back then that were doing comedy? I didn't have, well, okay, so like I said, I worked at the Comedy Union. I used to watch London Brown, Tony Baker, who's, you know, really big on the social media side right now. I used to watch um, Chinadu, BT Kingsley, uh, Keon Poli, all these names that, you know, people may or may not have heard of, but those are the people that I watched. Um, Yvonne Orji, Zainab, like those are the people that I watched and I was like, oh, I can do this. Mm. And um, it made me want to pursue it myself. Got you. Coming from Miami, which is where you originally mm. come from, what was so significant about the vibe of LA for you as you were establishing this, you know, newfound role as a comedian? Um, okay, so I'm not from Miami, but I did live in Miami for a couple of years. And I will say that all I was doing in Miami was working and partying. Um, I think that it was a great stepping stone to my adult life. But um, I didn't, I didn't do much there. And then so when I came, I'm sorry, I keep trying to turn on. Oh, this is my phone. That's um, okay, so the vibe in LA, when I moved to LA, it was number one, I knew it was for me because I could go out without having a drink. Like it's just, it, it, it just felt felt like it was made for Jasmine. Like I could be my full, free, authentic self. It's so many different characters there that, you know, no one's really judging you. You don't feel judged. You just feel comfortable. And um, I think that that was very important to you know have early on in a comedy style because you have to learn yourself as a person in order to be an amazing comedian it's amazing to be back at the comedy store all these years later i'm going through a breakup next week <laughs> my boyfriend tried to talk on that joke he came up to me he's like i don't like that joke i was like well a little awkward it's not about you <laughs> the first time i went on stage at the comedy store i cried light is right on you like a dagger this hurts so much why do i stay i don't think that there's a building that has affected culture more than the store the comedy store i grew up here my whole life is this the coolest place think about Just it miss making people happy any comic that ever inspired me all worked here Richard, Libby Goldberg, Bill Burr, Robin, Jim Carrey, Michael Keaton, Chico, Letterman, Lano, Kennison. This lineup is nuts. Anybody had one path into entertaining. One woman, Mitzi Shore, to make those decisions. Mitzi really taught me about comedy. If you made her laugh, <laughs> you knew you were in. She goes, nobody wants to follow you. I go, well, isn't that their problem? This became the hottest place in the world. Every night, somebody was getting discovered. If you were successful, the next stop was The Tonight Show. I can't stay long. I'm in between meals, so bear with me. There had been this migration of class clowns. That would not have happened without this room. Talk about that. Didn't I just? <laughs> <laughs> the place is magical. I've wanted this forever. This was a beam to infinite space. It's what unites a whole bunch of us. Our time at the Comedy Store. If 
you know this place is haunted, right? I've heard that, actually. Yeah, my career died here about 10 years ago, <laughs> so. Having my first ever comedy show at the comedy store, I didn't even know how big that was. Uh, six, seven years ago, seven years ago. I didn't, I didn't even know how big that was because I wasn't, you know, big in the, in, in the comedy scene. But people, you know, they, they travel across the world to be able to perform on the comedy store stage. So I, I don't feel like I, I knew the importance of that at that time. I do now and I'm very thankful. Um, as far as did I feel like my style was stifled? I would say that being a woman in comedy you are given a bunch of rules that you should follow according to you know, veteran comics as far as how you dress, as far as what you talk about on stage. Um, you know, they say if you're too pretty or you're dressed too you know, sexy that people aren't gonna pay attention to what you're saying. So for my first couple of years, I made, um, I made an effort to dress down. Like that was, I, I made sure that I was not looking cute on stage so people could feel like, oh, I was funny or only oh, wanted to hear what I had to say. But now I wear whatever feels comfortable. If I feel good in it, I'll put it on and, and get on stage. And I mean, my I'm not a clean comic at all. <laughs> and so for a woman, and especially, um, I would say I give off the kind of, um, girly schoolgirl vibe when I come on stage I'm like hey I'm Jasmine Lee right. and then I start talking and like oh this is more like Eddie Murphy raw so um, <laughs> it, it's been fun kind of you know figuring out exactly who I am on stage and then since I've had my baby it's like you know um, so much more material and also more people that I can relate to got you now you mentioned your style how would you describe your style for anybody that doesn't know and hasn't seen jasmine lee do stand-up and hasn't seen your videos how do you describe your style i'd say maybe ellen degeneres eddie murphy and tiffany haddish kind of had a threesome and wow. then had... <laughs> <laughs> that's what i would say i mean eddie murphy's from roosevelt i definitely um as an adult when i went back and watched his stand-up i see a lot of myself in that i see a lot of myself in patrice o'neill and how he um speaks about his experiences and then um when i was fresh into comedy and this was before tiffany haddish blew up um everybody kept telling me you need to sit down with tiffany you remind me so much of her you know just just because of how free we are on stage i feel right um, and then people do say that we favor as well, which, you know, you see sometimes and not. And then as far as Ellen, I'm just so giddy. And so um, I would say Ellen, like talk show Ellen, like the dancing down to uh, the stage Ellen, like that's, that's a, a lot of me as well. So mm -hmm. I, I think that would be a great depiction. Eddie Murphy, Tiffany and, and Ellen merged. What a <laughs> What about what about Tiffany Haddish? I know there's a relationship with Tiffany. I understand you're good friends. What kind of relationship do you have with Tiffany Haddish? Um, I I would say that Tiffany is definitely like a big sister to me, um, in comedy and acting world. Um, if I she's she's not always available to answer her phone right when I text her, but I know if I text her that she's gonna get back to me. I know if I have a question about something in the industry, she's going to give me the the real nitty gritty. And then, you know, even if I just need a mental check or whatever, I can talk to her. And I remember when I first started getting um, 
you know, uh, bad comments from the, mm. the podcast, I would hit her up because I'm like, you know, how do you deal with all of the negativity that you get? And so, you know, I would take her advice and, and go forward. That's interesting. Can you speak to, with that being said, can you speak to the freedom that stand-up has as a healing art and, and a substitute for therapy to treat this, you know, depression and social anxiety we're talking about? How has comedy helped you combat and navigate that? All right. So first of all, I'm going to say that comedy is not, um, <laughs> you should not use that instead of therapy. I think that that's one of the main problems with comedians because we will just use comedy and not actually talk to a therapist, which I actually just started therapy myself. But for me, I feel like just being able to get on stage and being able to to talk your shit, like get out your, your cause you're, you're, you're pretty much, and my, my standup is factual. So I'm telling about things in my life that may have been hard and I'm making them into jokes and I'm seeing that other people can relate and other people have been through things. So it helps me in my experiences. But I wouldn't say it's a substitute to um, therapy. And because um, I feel like a lot of comedians have social anxiety and there's a lot of comedians that can go on stage and murder and get off stage and not be able to say hello to someone. Mm -hmm. There's a threat, so, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt that your responsibility as an entertainer to make people laugh, have you ever felt that's competed with your own state of happiness? Uh, you know, it, it does time to time because, I mean, you're not always in the mood to make someone laugh. And if you're booked for a show, you have to work. You know, you have to figure it out. Um, I remember a couple of months ago, actually almost a year ago, a friend died and I found out that he died right before I was going to be getting on stage. And I didn't feel funny at all. And, you know, I just had to, you know, dig deep and realize this, the person that died was a comedian. You know, what would he want me to what would he want me to go on stage and do cry or do my job? So it, it is hard at times. I'm when my grandparents died. I, I didn't even do stand up for a little bit because I just couldn't find it in me. Mm. And it's like, we're always supposed, like people expect us to always be on. So it, it's a lot of pressure. I can imagine. I can imagine. And how much do you credit comedy for shaping you as a person today? Ooh, uh, I, I would, <laughs> Yeah, comedy is probably, I mean, I, I think comedy has saved me in a sense because it, it gave me a platform to be able to express myself. So. And you're somebody that clearly cares about expression before recognition. That's the yes. detail in your craft. You're somebody who's yes. very much authentic within your craft. Has it been easy or challenging navigating this come up, knowing these people we're talking about, Tiffany Haddish, et cetera, has it been harder to come up in LA with these people around you? Um, I wouldn't, I would say that Tiffany Haddish probably made it a little bit easier for people like me because she's so open and so much of herself that she kind of had the world craving more authentic people. Because I feel like Tiffany always shows up as herself and I feel I always show up as myself. And sometimes ourselves are a lot. Right. But once yeah. now that you see like, oh, okay, Tiffany is herself and she's a global star, then you can do it as well. You mentioned Jeff Ross earlier. Yes. What did you learn from Jeff about podcasting when appearing on his show, Fix Skin? Um, I learned about being informative. I learned about, um, you know, 
just knowing, taking a second to think and, and saying things that make sense, not just saying things just for the sake of, oh, I got to say this on the podcast. Um, he, I think the first one I did, first one I did with him was with him and Seth Green. So just being with two celebrities and not getting um, overwhelmed by their celebrity status and being able to have, you know, normal down to earth conversations with them, it definitely made me feel more comfortable with that. And just, um, you know, do your research. What's Seth Green like as a person? Oh, he's a- First of all, Seth Green is absolutely hilarious and he is an absolute doll. We interviewed him on People's Party as well. And my uh, babysitters, shout out to Jazz and Mina, they did not have the car seat because I took the car seat to work with me. And Seth Green took the car seat to my house and dropped it off to my friends Uh, who are also comedians and were also like, what the hell, Seth Green is (laughs) dropping off in the car seat? And he, I, I mean, the last party I was at, he just held Coco the whole time. Like, he he is just great. And that first interview, he just, he talked in a different voice every time we asked him a question. Well, let's talk about your experience with podcasting. I'm curious as to if if there's a moment that you credit for helping you realize the potential and impact of podcasting as a social medium, similar to the energy of the comedy circuit. Mm. Do you mean my podcast or just general? Just podcasting generally, right. You know, I didn't really listen to podcasts until I got on mine, to be honest. Um, I, I really didn't. Uh, I mean, but Breakfast Club is huge, and that's been around for so long. I mean, Joe Budden is always doing different things, but I, I, I podcasting wasn't really my thing. But once I got into space, and obviously I wanted to research and see how other people did it, so I did start to watch them then, but I didn't really watch them leading up to. How do you meet Talib? Oh, I met Talib actually at Jeff Ross's house. It was after the comedy store and we were all hanging out and he was playing music. And I was I was like, this man looks so familiar. But I didn't want to ask him, like, hey, are you Talib Kweli? So I just like, you know, Googled underneath my phone a little bit. And I was like, yeah, that's him. He just has a beard now. And I was like, and then I just, you know, acted as if I knew it was him the whole time. So so you, <laughs> you, you, you're pulling up Google as he's DJing in Jeff Ross's house. Yes, that's how I met him. <laughs> and how did that exchange go? Yeah, it wasn't like a huge party. It was a small gathering. So everybody was kind of talking to everyone. And if you were there, it's like, okay, you're supposed to be here. No one was like, oh, well, who's this random non-celebrity girl? It was really down to earth. It was a fun time. Individual accomplishments ain't stopping shit When it costs for shit, about to hack this shit like anonymous I got boots from the cool my accomplice This beats an annihilator We gon' spark the fire later Now we rush the violator Scribble down the wire data I am an empire hater We do not require beta We have been assigned a raper That's how you got piles of paper It's my job to escape One, two, clear the privilege Pulmonary, pugilist, witless tape Skills all in plus this the way Line up here for the fist debate Savage kids so sophisticated Next 
there's a lot of people that might think of you as purely playing the background on people's party, but I think you bring a much-needed energy and spirit to Quali that balances out what he does. Can you speak to that energy and how you help to elevate what Quali does and inspire a different side of him? Um, I think that the world sees Talib as just like, you know, a straightforward, non-smiling, no-nonsense kind of guy, and that's just not him all the time. And I think because I'm so carefree and smiley and jokey that I bring that part out of him. And then also I kind of play the liaison between the artists and the fans because I am still kind of in the fan realm, but I can ask the questions that, you know, we want to know that Talib wouldn't necessarily ask or he already has from prior knowledge. How does he encourage and empower you to be as critical as you are behind the scenes? Um, I mean, he just gives me free reign to be myself. He, he doesn't, he's not really a criticizer. If I do do something that, you know, he would like to change, he offers solutions. And I feel like with my personality, that's just, you know, a, a, a lot more encouraging to me than the criticism. Although you should, you know, take constructive criticism in, in this realm. I think that he knows how to, to get to me for sure. Has there been any part of your journey podcasting that you felt the biggest shift within yourself as a host? Um, I don't know if it was a specific um, episode. I will say that after we did all of those episodes from home, when we got back into the studio, I feel like I had a different kind of feel for myself because at the People's Party from Home episodes, I asked a lot more questions than I did when we were originally fil filming in the studio. So when we came back from the studio, I think I had kind of proven myself. So I was able to, um, you know, handle things or show I could handle things. And not gonna lie, like uh, there's like the Faith Evans interview that just came out. That one was a pretty tough one. And I had to really like, you know, pull because number one, they're friends. Faith, you know, doesn't like to answer certain things. So I do feel like I had to use my hosting chops to, to you know, get in how I fit in and get the responses out that the audience will want to hear. What is it about this show that works for you? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, number one, I'm getting to sit down and interview with a lot of people that I've just idolized from a child. Like, I mean, Anthony Anderson, my grandmother taught him in college. Like, she was his, his theater professor. So, you know, and she's passed now. So being able to interview him and hear his stories about my grandmother, like that was just absolutely amazing. Um, we've interviewed like, uh, what is his name? I can't think of his name right now, but the son from Blackish. Just like uh, seeing how him, how his father has raised him in the industry, because my daughter's in the industry most likely. So um, just getting little tips from that and just all the music that I wouldn't have ever listened to on my own. And now I have in my playlist is, you know, amazing. Who are some of the artists and albums that you got into post People's Party podcast that you weren't necessarily aware of prior to doing it? Well, I definitely was not aware of Supernat's freestyling skills. I listen to him all the time. Um, uh, Sky Zoo actually put me on to this jazz uh, playlist, Dope. which is really cool. Terrace Martin, like it's it's so many people that I just wouldn't have listened to before. You also got to rap on the same episode with Jadakiss. I, 
I rapped on the episode with Jada Kiss, um, which I was put on the spot and I never know the correct words for anything, but I, I got a lot of those words right. And I'm actually, I don't know if they're gonna keep it in here, but I freestyle on an episode we just did in Austin. So we'll see if that makes the final cut. Well, have you ever thought about becoming a rapper yourself? I, if I could get a ghostwriter, I would definitely be a rapper. I think that I, I would be a great rapper. How do you think the ability to know everything about an album, how do you think that's affected fandom and what it is to be a fan today? Knowing that you do these deep dive episodes with Quali, how do you think fandom has changed? Well, people now want to know who they're listening to. They want to feel like they're their friend. They want to feel like they grew up with them. And I feel like the more open people are, the more the fans love them. All right, so with freestyling though, um, and you were talking about the art of freestyling, nowadays freestyling is considered using somebody else's beat and it's not just always off the cuff. What are your thoughts on that? I think there's a difference between the word freestyle and off the head. Mm -hmm. And it's been a debate many, yeah. many years in hip hop. Like I would just, to, to sum it up, in a nutshell, off the head is the purest form of freestyle, mm -hmm. okay? But freestyles can also be a coherent written rhyme with no particular direction. Like right. like Quali said, sometimes we just had those moments where we boastful, I'm the illest and I'm nice and we're- well, you, you kicking your written back and forth, y'all just freestyling, y'all not making a song or in a studio per se. Right, that's what a you, freestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're talking about the podcast you of course show so much love to so many old school legends and veterans mm -hmm. you know in this time where people give flowers before it's too late what are your thoughts on today's generation um i think the new artists uh they i think they have it a little like they say that they have it easier but i do think they have it a little bit harder because they're just expected to do more like before we didn't know what our favorite artist was eating for breakfast. We didn't know what they wore when they went to go grocery shopping, unless you were like looking in the tabloids. It's like now, it's like they expect you to make music, they expect you to invite them into their lives, they expect you to be their best friends. Like it's just a lot that they put on um, all of these artists. I know there's something in the um, news with Doja Cat right now because some fans are mad that, they w that she didn't wanna come out and see them in a storm. And it's like, you know, they, they just expect a lot from them. What's going on? If you are still listening to this episode and enjoying the podcast, why not become a patron of Fly Fidelity at patreon.com slash flyfidelity. Becoming a patron means you are directly supporting our show and helping us to create a new episode each and every week. It also means that as a thank you, for being a super supporter, you'll be able to access exclusive content to you, including patron updates, offers and discounts, a monthly secret podcast, early access, and so much more. This episode with DMX hits different. Mm -hmm. Did you get the chance to spend as much time with X as Quali did prior to that interview? I did not because uh, DMX was actually in Ohio when we shot that episode. So they got to eat together and they, they, they did a whole hang. We did, that interview was a little bit longer than usual. So we did get to, you know, chat on the Zoom a little bit longer than we would normally, but I definitely didn't get the amount of time that he did. But um, DMX actually said a prayer for my daughter because um, 
at this time I was breastfeeding. So she would still be, you know, eating while I'm interviewing. So he caught a glimpse of, he's like, is that a baby? And at the end of the um, interview, he prayed over my daughter, which was just beautiful. And, you know, I don't think she'll ever even understand how amazing that was. Beautiful. Beautiful. What a moment. What are your recollections of talking to Bob Saget? And what did you take from that conversation as a comedian? I mean, I Bob Saget was my father growing up. Like, I get really sad about that. Um, that's, that's one of Jeff's best friends, actually. So I've seen him a lot. Um, he was just, I, I, I lived, breathed, and talked Full House on the regular basis. I didn't even know at the time that he was a stand-up comedian. I didn't know he was a stand-up comedian until way later in my adult life. Um, so with what one thing with Bob that told me was no matter what I do on stage, I can still go to family TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that I learned from him. Um, but he was just an all-around great guy. After the interview, my little brother is um, also obsessed with Full House and Fuller House. And so he FaceTimed him for me. And the look on my brother's face was just like, oh, my God. So um, and had like a couple of conversations. I mean, a couple, you know, had a little conversation with him. So he was just an amazing man. And, and you know, gone way too soon. Way too soon. Absolutely. He was. What's interesting about these episodes is the way in which they're structured around an exploration and discussion of the past, present and future in terms yeah. of, you know, political consciousness. What's the process in figuring out what the questions are and gelling or getting a guest career and narrative together? <clears throat> well, um, Talib, <laughs> he's a research nerd. He just is like he loves to research. I, too, love to research. So I think it meshes well. And I think that um, early on, I was not a part of this process, but they decided that they were going to do the chronological order of the questions. And so Talib does his research. I do my research. And then I just go in and try and figure out where I can connect myself to the artists and, you know, mm. add in my questions there. Uh, but I, 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 I think I, I really love that we go from like, you know, really sometimes from birth to, to now and like the, the guests always love it too. They're like, wow, you guys really did your research. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's what we're known yeah, for. Yeah. You guys smash it and it just brings together this bigger picture, doesn't it? Yes. What is it that you've learned and discovered about yourself since doing people's party? Hmm. What have I discovered about my, I discovered that I have an amazing voice. I've discovered that um, I touch people that I don't even know. Um, and I didn't even, and not even the way that I would have thought. I've learned how strong I am um, in being able to deal with these criticisms and critiques that are sometimes not the nicest and still being able to, you know, get up and go on about my day. And I've learned that I have a lot of people that support me. There it is. If I could try to draw a line through the work you do, is that you're fascinated with these extremely talented artists who are under immense pressure to live up to these high expectations. What have you learned about how people cope with the weight of everyone's hope around them? Uh, what I've learned is that you got to get your rest and you got to separate yourself from the world. You can't let the world drain you. I remember uh, Yasin Bey was uh, 
that interview, that was his main thing. He's like, I'm going to do what I want. Don't put your expectation of, you know, of me on me. Mm. Let me live my life. And, and that's that. What's going on for the remainder of this year for Jasmine Lee? Do you have any plans for the rest of this year in terms of touring as a comedian and in terms of touring the podcast potentially? Um, we we just did People's Party Live in Austin. So hopefully there will be some more uh touring for people's party i'm actually in atlanta right now i'm gonna be hosting jeff ross's shows this weekend and i will be bringing back my um comedy show cool kids of comedy uh coming to a city near you i toured that last year so you know i'm i'm excited this the year is just beginning and it's looking very promising talk about cool kids of comedy what can people expect with rick that okay so cool kids of comedy um in the comedy realm you kind of have to uh pay your dues in order to get stage time, especially in LA. I didn't typically want to wait around. So I just started producing my own shows. And because I've always had veteran comics that are good friends with me, I've been able to put on good shows. And so I've done it. I I was doing it um, weekly in LA before COVID hit. And we've also done New York, a couple of shows. We've done Philadelphia. We've done Atlanta. And um, I want to go to DC next, actually. Nice, nice. Any plans to come to UK? I would love to come to the UK. Fly me out there. I got my passport. There it is. Jasmine Lee, thanks for taking the time out to talk to us on this episode of Fly Fidelity. You've been very generous with your time. And on a cartoon, and on a Scooby-Doo, ropes up, ropes up, blood clot, you know? A real champion. When we say champion, champion, the number one. It's a real number one. When we say number one, a champion, champion things. Champion. Well, Anna, how does some boy feel like? You think I gave this? No, sir. Your father had the sense of straight Condemn them Look what we done started Look what we done started Just the people party When opportunity knocking Then y'all nigga move that double Get your foot stuck in it Call me young, go get it I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh oh. You're wrong. (laughs) Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My peoples, are you with me where you at?